0: Hello and welcome to another episode of SBCC Vaquero Voices, a podcast highlighting the unique voices that comprise our campus culture and how we're all working together to serve our students and the community at large. As usual, I'm joined by my co-host Akil Hill. Hey everybody. And today we are honored to welcome Maureen McCrae Goldberg to the show. Welcome. Welcome.
1: Hey.
0: Howdy. Maureen is the director of financial aid here at the school. And I mean, financial aid, is that just busy all the time? Is there a slow or busy season? <laughs> the, t- I know no. it's tied to the, FAFSA, <laughs> but I mean, students are just always, it's always on their mind. So I figured something that's just kind of crazy all the time. Is that kind of correct?
1: Um, yes, it's busy all <laughs> the time. Like, you have the students who think in advance and get their stuff done. Uh, the students who think, oh, boy, I'm a- going to start school. I should get things done. And the ones that are... Oh, my God, I started school last week. I don't have any money and need to get things done. So uh, we get all different kinds. People handle deadlines very differently.
0: And I mean, yeah, because, because the FAFSA opens in October and closes in June, it kind of is kind of a going concern the whole school year. So I guess there's no... Like there's no like rush to get it done because you have, you know, five or six months to do it. But then there probably is a rush because most folks would just put it off to the very end. Although money is, I guess, distributed in the order that it's received. I mean, it's better to get in early. Is that correct? Or is that kind of an old assumption? Well,
1: once you actually file a FAFSA form, um, that's not the end. The actual people have to look at the FAFSA. You may be asked to provide additional data to prove the information on your FAFSA. Um, And those things can take time. And there's only six people in the office who actually look at that. So it can get really backed up. And it can be two or three weeks before someone can actually look at your piece of paper and move your FAFSA forward. And then with COVID happening and everybody moving to an online environment, we got even more backed up. And then what happens is the people who submitted their documents, say, in May and haven't heard anything by June, start calling us. And then we can't take care of the ones that submitted in May because we're taking care of the phone calls and emails and chats. So it kind of becomes a vicious circle. About um, the best advice I can give someone with who's filing for financial aid is a good dose of patience. Um, anything that's regulated by the federal government has rules that make no sense to anybody. Good job security for my office. Very difficult process for the students.
0: So, yeah, it does sound like fi- get file as early as possible and be as patient as you possibly can. Those are the kind of the two keys to having this process go as relatively smoothly as possible.
1: Right. And the other thing to remember is it's very rule oriented and the onus of knowing the rules is on the student. So if you really want to be in on it, uh, read our webpage. Everything you need to know is on our webpage. And uh, we send emails out to students and we don't think we get read very much. Um, So just being being top the business side of your education, it isn't going to flow nearly as smoothly as you want it to. And it's probably the first, a good majority of our students have to take care of their own finances. Uh, um, while we we have quite a few what we would call late entry students, students in their 20s and above, a lot of our students are coming straight out of high school and Mom and dad have always taken care of everything. And now all of a sudden, you're in everything. In the office, we don't even talk to parents. Um, You're 18 years old. You're on your own. You need to ask questions and be responsible. uh,
0: And, And I guess the other question to ask is, is there any reason for a student not to fill out a FAFSA? Like, is it a good idea for most students to do that? Or are there certain cases where you probably don't even have to, it's not a big deal? I mean.
1: Well, I've been, I've been working in financial aid offices for about thirty um, I'm, I'm almost gonna have to round up to 40 here, but um, I used to say when I would go out and do outreach, um, is if you can't write a check for the full amount of your education. And even if you are living at home rents, the full amount of your education at City College is about 14,000. If you can't write that check the whole amount, then you should be applying for financial aid. It's a good good way of thinking, you know, I can cover my fees, oh, I can probably get my books, but what happens when rent comes due? Is that check still there for you? So I would say yes, everybody should file a FAFSA. In fact, we have one program, the Promise program, through the foundation where all of our local high school graduates um, get free tuition and supplies. They are mandated to file a FAFSA. It's part of program requirement. So it's not nearly as hard as people think it is. Um, Fear of FAFSA, the actual fear of of, uh, needing to do it, stop you from doing it. Put it in there. It's it's your name, security number, how much money did you make last year? And the financial aid office has uh, workshops every two weeks where you can zoom in and get help from one of our very talented staff members.
2: That's great. It's great to know. I was going to ask you one question in regards to you say that sometimes you have to provide further documentation and sometimes um, You know, I work in admissions and uh, you know I help students and a couple of them. um, How is How is that determined. Is it like a random selection or is it something that they fill out on the FAFSA that is um, Not Uh, it's conflicting information, then they have to provide further proof? Or how how do you have to provide further information uh, after submitting the FAFSA?
1: Well, the first thing everyone needs to know is City College does not choose (laughs) Mm to provide more information. It's not a determination made in my office. Um, Supposedly, it's a random selection made by an algorithm at the U.S. Department of Education. Mm. So those of us who've been doing this stuff for a long time find it very interesting that this random selection seems to net most of the Pell Grant recipients. So Mm. it's the algorithm they use seems to um, weigh heavy on low income students. So students who are likely to need grants are those that seem to be most likely flagged for verification. Um, other things that we ask you for, um, have to do with conflicts. Um, you apply to college on uh, an admissions application and you, you don't have a high school diploma. And then you apply on your FAFSA form and you indicate that you do have a high school diploma. Well, having a high school diploma is very important to being eligible for financial aid. So, if one part of the school thinks you do, and another part of the school thinks you don't, we have to solve that conflict. Um, and unfortunately, the only way to solve a conflict like that is to get an original copy of the um, transcript for school that you attended, and that will either say that you graduated or you didn't graduate. But particularly during COVID with so many high schools closed, uh, that can take uh, weeks, if not months, to disperse money until a file is complete.
0: I see. And uh, you mentioned earlier how COVID has kind of delayed kind of certain things with the FAFSA. In general, for your office, how have you kind of had to adjust with COVID? I know you have live chat on the website now, but um, otherwise, how have things been going in your department? Uh, working around the COVID and the campus kind of closure stuff?
1: Well, on Friday, when we all went home and said, you not get to come back, the financial aid office was paper facing, which means that everything the student turned into the financial aid was paper um, that you either had to mail, fax, or bring by the office. And then beginning Monday, we lost that ability. So... A week the financial aid office went from paper facing to complete um which we were very proud of, but I, I i everybody saw what what a feat that actually was um we pulled up a shared file uh, got up and going got the chat bot up and going uh, the uh, emails up and going um and were all of a sudden being able to take everything electronically. We also were in the process of moving to an electronic process um, called a verify your FAFSA, which was uh, scheduled before COVID to begin with the 2021 academic year. So that helped a lot that we were already on that road. But um, being able to communicate very, complex, very personal issues with students using nothing but bots and email uh, proved to be very difficult and very frustrating for our students. And um, as Akhil knows very well, we have something called FERPA, which is the Privacy Act. And we can't just give your information anybody who loves that bot or calls on the telephone, we have to verify somehow that it's you, because we're dealing with your parents' tax returns, we're dealing with your grades, we're dealing with your socioeconomic status, and those are all things that are protected, so we had the double whammy of having to go from paper in person, where we asked for an ID card, to being electronic, without people and having no way to look at your ID card. So it's been quite a, um, a a new world for both our students who are struggling with that and the staff who are struggling with it as well. But I'll tell you, I've never seen a group of people um, work as fast or be more dedicated to the students they serve than the financial aid people. They know that what we do in the aid office can make a difference if you make your rent, or if you're able to pay for childcare, or if you're able to buy books before school starts. So uh, the crew that works in the financial aid office, extremely dedicated.
2: Yeah, I um, you're talking about your your crew, the crew in financial aid. Um, I, you know, if I had the pleasure of working with Agatha and Moistus because they were previously in mission and records, and I know how dedicated and driven they are and then um, as well as everyone else um, in uh, financial aid um, sometimes I have to run upstairs to give uh, financial aid some stuff or pre pre COVID but um, and everyone's extremely helpful extremely positive understands the big picture so you know shout out to the crew in financial aid Um, sometimes you know we uh, always you know, focus on the the outcome for the student, and sometimes miss how the student was able to derive at that outcome. And, it, and a lot of it is a lot of hard work, um, a a lot of deep, being detail oriented um, from our staff on the back end. So, um, just want to sit, send a special shout out to your crew, Maureen. Uh, the the people in the finance trade are great. And the Thank message you. here, the Thank message you. here,
0: see, definitely seems to be that folks are are doing their best working as hard as they can but the whole process has changed almost overnight and while we've everyone's been doing the best they can to kind of adjust there are still some kind of kinks in the system to work out so bear with us on both sides in terms of the students are adapting to the new application process and then on the back end processing those applications it it is uh, some things to work through as well so
1: very true very true so,
0: so yes apply early and uh also be patient. Those are the two the two themes we're, we're taking away from the conversation right now. Is apply early. Be patient.
2: Yeah, and then I was going to say one more point about the FAFSA because I definitely not the FAFSA, but the FERPA. Um, I you know working in admissions, it's you know it's you're absolutely spot on with that, Maureen, about just how sometimes that can just be, you know, such a an issue with students because they think uh, that you're trying to prevent them from, you know, getting what they're trying to get accomplished but in that in actuality it's really to protect them you know and, and that's something that they really need to um you know recognize it's like look if you would you want us just to be so laissez-faire with your information and that we know the tax information there's some serious stuff on that so i can relate when you said FERPA i'm like yeah that's usually that means kind of get your gloves out almost sometimes
1: yeah <laughs> it's true
0: yeah, because when the parents call in, you know, they're, they're like, oh, you know, well, I, I, I'm used to helping. I'm used to that. Well, you know, at this point, it's for your own child's safety and privacy that you, you can't help in this process. They have to call in. They have to provide some verification or, you know, some sort of information to get that information out of them. Now, another, another aspect of your office besides the financial aid FAFSA stuff is you also uh, handle scholarships for the school. And so can you touch a little bit on that in terms of uh, scholarships that might be available for students or just to, to kind of the, a, a rough overview of the scholarship aspect of financial aid?
1: Well, we have a wonderful woman in the office named Avena who runs the scholarship program for us. She runs that in conjunction with the SBCC Foundation. Uh, the scholarships, for the most part, that she handles do not belong to City College. They belong to this private foundation, um, but we run them on their behalf. Um, the scholarship book uh, for the 2021 year is posted on the scholarship website. So we've already started gearing up for the next scholarship cycle. Um, it's my understanding that uh, Avena is gonna don her mask and come to campus and drop scholarship uh, booklets in places like the food bank uh, and uh, this uh, library and the CRC, C-L-R-C, um, the Cartwright Center, um, and different places where students are able to be in a spot more than a couple of minutes on campus right now. Um, and students then have the option of perusing the book and we encourage them to apply for as scholarships as they possibly can. We have over a million that get dispersed. Um, the uh, deadline, I believe, is early March and decisions are made by the end of the year.
0: Yeah, I I remember Avena always booked um, a conference room kind of next to my office for like a week straight. So I would always see her in there deliberating and kind of evaluating and deciding. So it was always like you can mark set your calendar by when Avena comes in comes into the conference room for a week to kind of vet and look through the applications. But it's it's a it's a labor intensive process because um, she really does take a lot of care in terms of evaluating applicants and going through everything and it, it's a it's a big responsibility to kind of to kind of award these scholarships to folks so she does take it very seriously and uh, shout out to Avenna for doing all that work but uh, yeah, absolutely.
1: it's a, it's mm-hmm. a, a campus wide effort act Avena's in there with volunteers from all mm-hmm. over the campus reading those applications and selecting um, uh, I used to read scholarship applications for an association uh, involved in, and you'd get 30 applications, one award, and it was like, oh, my. All of these people deserve this money. Um, so it's very difficult. But the the shout-out goes to all of those uh, City Barbara, uh, C- City College employees that volunteered during the period. Uh, we couldn't get through them.
0: Yeah. yeah it is it is a revolving door in there so she, everyone that helps with the process much much appreciated.
2: Yeah, I remember Ivana a couple of times has kind of hit me up about hey you're going to you're going to read or you're going to read, you know. And uh, so I from every from everyone that I've have spoken with that actually has, you know, volunteered to read. I we had a, I believe a, a George, I think he uh in our office, he read and, you know, everyone has such great stories about uh, it's a good way of really connecting with obviously you don't see the student, but understanding s- the certain obstacles and, and, and problems that students are facing with. And the fact that you're, you have the pleasure of kind of reading something that is, you know, somewhat intimate about one's journey and why they're trying to apply for it. Um, I've noticed people s- say that it's, it's, uh, it kind of gives you a, 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 or makes you a little bit more appreciative of, of your job and how you're actually here to serve the students, to uh, help the students uh, reach what their goals are. So uh, hopefully I can at some point get around to reading uh, as well because I, I really feel that you become re once you start to see and understand the whole picture with the student and what they're going through.
1: The challenges that our students face are just amazing. It's uh, always so satisfying to see them graduate because, you know, everyone that walks across that stage has a different story.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and as someone who personally benefited greatly from financial aid, um, going for my, for my uh, education, because I, uh, you know, I came from a low income, very poor family, uh, We had no way of knowing how I was going to pay for college, but through grants, scholarships, and and just, you know, the Cal Grant, Pell Grant, all the low-income stuff, I was able to go to school for five years, and I didn't really have to work too much. I I, I mean, I got jobs mostly for for personal expenses as opposed to school expenses. Those were all covered, including part of uh, room and board. Covered through financial aid. So, it, it, if you're really on the fence about applying for financial aid or, or not sure, it really is worth it just to apply and see what they give you because you can always decline the award if you don't want it. Um, but, but along those lines, on the on the flip side, are there sort of kind of any deadlines or pitfalls of getting financial aid rewards like like that people should be aware of in terms of folks that just get financial aid and just blow it on a, on material goods or whatever and don't and don't focus properly, kind of the, the sp- spending of the money, are there kind of pitfalls that folks fall into on that end that, that we should be aware of? Or kind um, of keep being on stuff like that? I think that
1: the two the biggest falls in financial aid, um, first is um, the awareness that this is money that's being given to you, some in case taxpayers, Um, And that there are rules that go along with that. Nobody's standing on a corner passing out dollar bills. Um, So if you are a financial aid recipient, which like Hong, I was a financial aid recipient. I have Pell Grants and Cal Grants and loans Mm -hmm. and all of that. Um, If you are taking financial aid money to pursue your education, there is an expectation that you will complete your education. And that comes in two different ways that that is measured in the age. Is you are expected to stay in school. So we release the first batch of financial aid 10 days before school starts. Expected to stay in school and complete the semester. If you don't complete at least 60% or you owe some of that money back. And students are always very surprised by this, that you will owe part of the money back. Now, don't give enough money out that it is living well. And by the time 60% of the semester has gone by, you've spent all your financial aid on living and books and educating yourself. But you still have to pay it back. Um, And you won't be able to enroll in the next semester until you pay it back. So dropping out of class or taking W's can really have a detrimental effect on your ability to move forward. The other thing that happens is if you. chronically drop out of all of your classes, uh, get uh, grades below C's, so your GPA is below a 2.0. If you take too many classes, you're supposed to be able to get an associate's degree within about 60 units. Um, We don't start asking what you're doing until you get to new units. But once you get above 90 units, your GPA is below a 2.0. You're not completing at least 67% of your classes. Then the federal government, using the aid office as their uh, emissary, will say, you're not getting any more until you explain to us why you're doing this. And you have to go through what's called satisfactory academic progress appeal. And that happens all four semesters. So summer, one, summer, one, spring, and fall. That if you fall into any one of those categories, you're not going to get more financial aid until you have successfully appealed to a committee members that you understand where you've made your mistakes and you understand how to correct those mistakes and we'll move forward. Um, And this is something that surprises students every semester, Um, but it's on the webpage. Uh, We do tell you about it. We send emails about it, Um, but it's not something people really want to think about. Um, Right now, we are just completing the fall financial aid appeal season. As we call it Uh, we've probably had more than 500 people uh, appeal and every appeal is read by um, myself at least and by the financial aid committee so it's a very timely process we look very closely at what you're doing where you're going how you got there um, and we decide whether or not you're going to be able to continue to receive financial aid so those two things are extremely important. Um, if you if you think about it, someone is paying you to go to school, just like somebody was paying you a job. And you don't expect to continue to get paid and you stop doing the work. Well, you can't expect to continue to get financial aid if you stop doing the work. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a good way yep. to think about it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I remember when I was in school, and uh, it's so interesting too because, you know, we talk about people that are kind of on the margins, and you know, they they're either told, you know, either you got to get a job or you got to go to school, and so, and out of fear of not wanting to work when you're 18 years old, you know, they, you know, they they go to college and. And honey, maybe, you know, some people when you were in school and college, too, as well, that were like this, where they financially, they would receive the financial aid um, and they would just spend it on stuff that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they shouldn't be spending it on. And a lot of it to me, like obviously looking back now, since I'm in my 40s, you know, the the, the piece of being financially literate and how the, a lot of, the, of these students Don't come from that space, and so they get the money, um, and they're like, "Hey, you know, I need I need some new shoes, right?" (laughs) And uh, so I just uh, has there ever been, or do you have any advice, like if if you're in that situation or that's kind of been your upbringing, how would you approach being, you know, financially responsible with your money, Maureen, or what do you have any suggestions for the students? Well, we have a.
1: We have a really good um, series of web pages called mm-hmm. the Smart Money mm-hmm. on our website okay. that helps students with budgeting, uh, gives them exercises about how to think about money, how to mm-hmm. set aside money, um, gives them uh, ideas about whether or not they should borrow money. Um, Borrowing money when you're 18 years old and you don't really know what you're going to do with your life can be a scary and often dangerous thing to do. Um, So if you were to go on uh, the main Santa Barbara City uh, College website and type in the smart money, you would come along these pages that are just fantastic to help students um, answer some of those questions. Um, again, it's a matter of getting students to take the time um, and really take a, a couple hours to invest in their future.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's uh, a lot of stuff there. It deals with you know like basic basic credit information, borrowing. You know, kind of kind of money basics that that are good, just good to know no matter what. I mean, some folks come across those as they grow up, but some folks you just never have to think about it. So it is a kind of a nice little recap. Um, of, of kind of basic money management kind of advice. Uh, for in terms of personally me, the things I would see with, with folks I went to school with and growing up is it's the two sides. It's like you said, the folks that will blow their financial aid money on stuff that's not school related, then they're a little short when the quarter ends. Mm-hmm. And then my, the other side, I, I knew a lot of folks that would just do financial aid and do a little bit of school. So they do some units, a couple classes here, a couple classes there, and then they run out of financial aid before they've got their degree. So, I mean, that's, that's the one where, is there, there's a, is there a cap of years in terms of how long you're eligible for financial aid, marine, or is it just uh, in terms yeah. of, okay.
1: Yeah, and there is. It- is um, for City College, you're supposed to be finished with your uh, degree, either AA or AA with transfer, um, within 90 units. Okay, so that, if you go above the 90 units, And it's 90 attempted units, not 90 completed units. And if you go above that, you have to go through the progress policy. But let's say that the appeal committee agrees with you. You know, you had to start at a low level math and now you're up and you're doing really well and you're gonna graduate within a year. It's gonna have taken you three years instead of two, but you're going to be ready to transfer on. The problem is, is when you get to your four year institution, um, you still have the same limit on financial aid, which is 150% of an education. So at, at city college, if it takes 60 units, we'll give you 90. And then at a four year college, it takes 120 units, So they'll give you, oh, don't make me do the math in my head. Um, They'll give you, I think, 60 units above that. And then your Pell Grant will run out. You won't have any more. Your Cal Grant can only be used for four years of full-time study. So if you're not on top of getting your units completed, you can get all to the end of your degree, be a semester before you graduate, and literally have no money to complete the degree. So you really do have to plan it very carefully.
0: Yeah. And and those are things that kind of get glossed over, not mentioned that often. So those, those are, though, that's the real key advice there, knowing that there are, there are caps on both sides. Mm -hmm. I mean, the apply early be patient is one thing in terms of getting awarded the money, but once you're awarded many money, it is a great responsibility to kind of, be, and, and in terms of asking young kids today to be responsible like that about money, I mean, I, I remember how I was, if, uh, as mentioned in previous episodes, if not for my older sisters, I'd just be a mess. I mean, I, I was a kid who, when I was really young, was just subscribing to magazines, and the invoices would come, i just throw them in the garbage, and, and my family would be like, what are you doing? It's like, they're sending me the magazines, what do I care? And they're like, well, don't you know about credit? And like, I didn't. I had no idea about credit and anything like that. I was just like, you know, so so those kinds of things kind of, luckily through me, older siblings. But in terms of if you don't have access to that or you don't have peers who are kind of keeping you on the up and up with things of that sort, then at least it's good to know that SBCC does provide some resources in terms of the advice that Marine's mentioned today, the Smart Money website. And as she said, everything is on the financial aid website. It can be a lot to go through. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of text. There's a lot of requirements. But that's just how it is written. I mean, we have to write it that way to be kind of like, like legally informative So it's one of those things where if you need help cutting through all of the text and figuring out what's what and what's going on, then definitely reach out to the financial aid office, uh, give them a call, stop by, send them an email or hop on the live chat and get that information because financial aid is very important to, uh, you know, your educational journey, but it is not just free money. So that's, that's the kind of the key takeaway here. Yeah. (laughs)
1: So, Excellent well, advice, hon.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, I try, cause I, I, I mean, I, I, try to, like, I, I still have a lot of friends, you know, that I talk about what money matters and things of that sort. Cause I've, I was, I mean, I've kind of come on the other side of that and luckily escaped uns, relatively unscathed, but there were a lot of opportunities I had, you know, where it's like my friend when he was like 19, oh, I want to buy Harley. Do you want to co-sign? And I'm like, sure. And, <laughs> and someone has to hit, someone had to hit the brakes for me, you know, like, err wait a minute, you should think about this where I'm thinking I want to be a good friend. I want to, you know, I'm the homie. I got it. I got to do this. And then, you know, like when you, when you break it down now, looking back and i like, that would have just been, you know, that would have been terrible. I would, uh, you know, because the thing about those kind of situations, the bad credit and this and that, it's getting into it is very easy. Digging out is the hard part, you know, because yeah. it's like yeah. seven years, uh, you know, automatically before you can, any sort of bankruptcy or foreclosure. I mean, there's all these little things, like the, all these little technicalities and things written into to how things work that have, that aren't exactly jumping out, you know, in, when you read documents. So it's just kind of things to be aware of. And, and that, the, the thing that you highlighted about, you know, six years or, or the, the 150% of the units, that's stuff that never, I was never aware of when I was going to school. I just kind of, you know, looked out. Because it. it took me five years to get a philosophy degree. So I was probably bumping up against that limit and just was never even aware of it. And imagine if I was, had to take an extra quarter, on top of the extra quarters I was already taking and then I ran out of money. I mean, then you walk away with no degree and then where am I at, you know? So it's, it's, there's a lot of little things where I looked out and I, I, it's just nice to get to kind of get the word out. Like, don't, don't, don't chance it to luck. Just know what you're getting into. And, and I'm not saying plan things out all the way through because I'm terrible at following plans myself, but at least have an idea and just like kind of like, you know, I, at least eyeball things. Now, you don't have to like measure out completely, but just be somewhat aware of these kinds of things
1: if you think about it if somebody's willing to give you f- money for free i want to know what the catch is
0: <laughs> well, yeah definitely yeah. and and it is and it is all about yeah it is all about individual enrichment but yeah uh, yeah there are definitely definitely are some catches there so um I know that you mentioned you've been in, you've been working in financial aid offices for 37, 30 some odd years, you say? Oh, Almost. I think so, yeah. 37? <laughs> Almost 37. 40, 30, 37. 37. 37 yes, so, uh, so, so what brought you to SPCC? What, uh, what, what kind of path did you take to, to, to land on our, our nice shores?
1: Well, I actually, I started in financial aid as an undergraduate in a federal work study job. And I really took to it and um, my academic interests at the time uh, were women's studies and history, and it was at the end of the Reagan recession, and there weren't any women's studies and history jobs to be found. So uh, my boss in the financial aid office at the University of Redlands, where I attended, found me a job, and I've been working in financial aid ever since, and I i really can't see myself doing anything different um there is such a sense of pride knowing every day that the work you are doing is making a difference in individual lives um you know every time we do the check run you know there's 500 more people whose lives just got a little bit better um, because the work that we do and you go to the graduation ceremonies and there are lives that are better for the work that you did. And so it feels really it feels really good. I, um, I was up in the Bay Area working in graduate schools and came down south and worked at Glendale Community College um, and then got the opportunity to work at Occidental College in Los Angeles which is probably best known for uh, being where Barack Obama went to school for his first two years of college. Um, And then I fell in love with a man living in Santa Barbara. And after commuting for a couple of years between Santa Barbara and LA, um, I was finally able to land the position at City College. And uh, I do not miss my commute. It was two and a half hours each direction. Um, I do miss my students and I miss Oxy. You can't be somewhere 18 years and not not be committed to the place. But um, the work in financial aid, where you are really helping students make dramatic changes in their lives um, is done in the community colleges. Um, At a school like Occidental, uh, it's a private selective school, it's, uh, it itself is very well known for its diversity, um, for moving the needle uh, with people from all different backgrounds, but they were people who had academically already proven that they could move that needle. Um, When you get to a community college, you're, you're with diamonds in the rough. Um, and you're dealing with people that need more help from those who've already been through the system. And so there's this, there's this sense that you're really changing the direction of the world when you work in a community college. And so I, uh, I truly love it here. Um, it's very different uh, than working in a small private liberal arts college. Uh, The federal regulations are all the same, but this is a state school, state regulations, I got to learn as well. And there are so many students that need help and we're only a staff of 10. So we have to try to do an awful lot of work um, with very little resources and get those students served. Um, But it's a challenge and it's one that I enjoy.
0: Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> well, well said. In terms of the difference between community colleges and a place like Occidental, um, did did you get a chance to sample all the wares in Eagle Rock? or you were in Occidental? Like, did you go to Casa Bianca and, and
1: Oinkster, Oh yeah, is, Casa <laughs> Bianca and uh, Oysters, Cacao. Cacao, Cacao
0: Mexicatessen, and, uh, and, yeah. the
1: York Bar, and Auntie M's. And,
0: oh, Auntie M's. They they yeah they closed a couple of years ago. She was uh, she was in a punk rock band. And then she opened yeah. the ATMs and, and the, the, the cupcake. <laughs> she, an <laughs> she was an
1: interesting character. An interesting character. Yeah, but I, I actually lived nearby, so I was able to enjoy Los Angeles quite a bit.
0: Yeah, Eagle Rock is you know kind of near Pasadena, not too far from LA, and it's it's a nice little hub oh, along with Glendale too. Glendale has like some of the best kebab in the country, so definitely, definitely had you had a good a nice fill of LA, and now you're you're. Uh, you got another nice enclave here in Santa Barbara in terms of the yes.
1: the types of things. I, I grew up in a little town in North County of San Diego called Cardiff by the Sea, um, which is above Del Mar and below Oceanside. And it is like the twin sister to Carpinteria. So in a lot of ways, I've, I've come home. <laughs>
2: mm.
0: And, and a, as some,
1: little- Yeah,
0: as someone who grew up in LA and has come to the coast, like they the Living by the beach and just living coastally is just—it's just, it's just nat- so naturally distressing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the the, the breeze, gentle breeze coming in instead of the crushing humidity. I mean, there's just so I, there's so many things about living in Santa Barbara. I mean, like I said, I'll never feel local because I bet like folks that are local are like more folks coming from LA. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll never, I'll never get that like local badge, and I'll be able to hang tight. But at least you know, like I, I do understand and appreciate the area, you know, and, and deeply, deep, deep love for the area. But yeah, yeah well, never,
1: you're, you're, like your it.
0: son will be a local. So. Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll have anchor, anchor baby son that'll give me that local badge. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he was, he was born here, I swear. Where were you born? Uh, Portland, Oregon. Yeah, then I went to L.A.
2: Oh, L.A. So, yeah.
0: Oh. yeah. <laughs>
2: it's funny I mean I, I I live in CARP and sometimes um people will tell like uh they'll ask you I was over at one of my friend's house who also lives in carp and uh he was giving his phone number out to someone who's from carp like carp has runs deep like three four generations and and so he was giving his phone number to them and he was like 310 and then he's like he kind of paused he's like oh so you're not local (laughs) you know what I mean like (laughs) it's just that small town everyone knows uh everyone or at least seen everyone you know and uh yeah so it's I'm a I'm a big fan I'm a big fan of Carpinteria I think it's one of those uh small places that um gets overlooked in in a lot of ways which is good because Santa Barbara's so close you know what I mean so everyone just drives through Carp and kind of like yeah we went to Santa Barbara but yeah Carps one of those places where it's definitely a, it's a gem, you know. Yeah, no, we're really
1: enjoying it. We're really enjoying it.
0: Yeah, and speaking of uh, local gems and food, uh, food things, um, we're onto our next section, which is food. Uh, anyone want to start us off? I, I can start, I guess this time because I never really start. <laughs> 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 I'm going to keep it uh, very simple this week for my food choice. Um, going to something that I eat a lot of lately, uh, being at home, uh, bagel and cream cheese. Very simple. Mm. very very basic. But it's for me, like it's uh, there's I like, you know, the quality of the bagel and, and quality cream cheese, etc. cetera, is, is somewhat important. But it's for me, it's all about the toppings. So I'm I like, uh, you know, I just do the regular Philadelphia cream cheese, but I get the flavored. I get a salmon flavored cream cheese so toast the bagel cream cheese i do some fresh garlic and then i do tomato onion and spinach i if i had capers i would do capers too because i know that's some of the more traditional kind of bagel topping but uh i've been eating uh, i try to do at least one every morning when i when i can get around to it sometimes i, I worked a little too much and i missed my bagel joint and it ends up being cereal instead but uh it's been really nice a nice routine to get into somewhat healthy i know cream cheese is not the best for you but it's reasonably healthy compared to what i was eating before and uh it's it's just really good and it, it makes me happy when i eat it so <laughs> sometimes my wife can tell like i'm smiling a lot she's like i'm gonna eat a bagel too now thanks to you it's like ah yeah mission accomplished because she's trying to sometimes you know she doesn't not as carb centric as i am so but i do kind of force her hand uh, in terms of bagels around here i like uh the, with the mesa bagel which is kind of your SBCC. Um oh, I, don't yeah. I don't know if their name is Mesa Bagel. I don't even know what they're called. I just call yeah. them Mesa Bagel. <laughs> if you Google Mesa Bagel, they co- they come up, but it's a donut shop. I mean, the, they do donuts and bagels, and their donuts are pretty good too. But yeah. I'll go I'll go and get a couple dozen from them and then just keep them in the freezer or keep a few out and keep the rest in the freezer and then, you know, toast them up. We have a nice toaster oven. And cream cheese, garlic, onion, tomato,
2: spinach. That's uh, So that's you get Now this you're sam-
1: making me hungry.
2: No, yeah. <laughs> wait so you get the salmon cream cheese
0: yes because I, I like the i like lox you know the smoked salmon bagels yeah but yeah. when you buy like the smoked salmon bagel it's a lot because they put like half a filet of salmon on there you know so it's like i am I'm, I'm frugal i guess you could say cheapskate but i'm frugal so i don't need to be spending 11 you know 10 11 dollars on one bagel uh, or else you'd see me like flaying that thing into you know, like eight pieces so it lasts the whole week but so i i just get i just want the flavor so the okay. Philadelphia cream cheese makes it salmon, salmon flavored cream cheese. So I'll throw that on there. It gives me enough of that flavor. I mean, how much of it is real salmon? I, I don't, I don't care to ask, but <laughs> <laughs> it gives me the salmon flavor, the salmon scent along with the cream cheese. So then when I throw the other veggies on there, it just gives you that extra, the little bit of umami and that extra bit of heartiness that I'm looking for. Because, because for me, like eating is sometimes psychological, like if I eat a bunch of popcorn, I know that that's nothing. So I, I just, it's like eating nothing. I'm just hungry afterwards, you know? So, but that little taste of salmon and stuff gives me a little protein, uh, sensory receptor where it's like, okay, I, I was a full meal. Whereas, you know, a couple of years ago, I'd be like, there was no meat on that. You need to get something else. And then I'd go get like a plate of bacon or something. Then, then where would I be? You know, like, so yeah, this is much, it helps, it helps my sensory receptors.
2: Okay. So I'm going to tell you, it, uh, just a small plug for Trader Joe's. If you um. The next time you're in Cherry Joe's, they have really good smoked salmon. Super, uh, it's pretty inexpensive, not too expensive for someone who's frugal. Yes, um, you want to probably look look at. Uh, they have a pastrami smoked oh um, uh, salmon, which and which is cool is they cut it up in small pieces, so you can just throw maybe one. Slice or two slices on there, and you'll be set. But I will
0: definitely look into that because that's yeah. that's rounds right. And I go there for the everything bagel seasoning too. The Trader Joe's everything bagel seasoning yeah. is excellent on a bagel. Yeah. Really yeah. good.
2: So. They also have everything. They also have an everything salmon, smoked salmon. So it's basically everything that 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 seasoning they put in on the salmon. Oh. so you have like so you're gonna have two options: the the pastrami and the everything salmon. Um.
0: Okay, so Def, definitely, that. just, that's what this show is good for. You know, like I, I thought, I, I thought my bagel game was evolved, and you just were able to kind of take it and twist it and add that extra like that extra elevation. So I feel like, I feel like that's something to strive for now. That's that's my new highest mountain to climb, where I get all that bagel stuff and then throw the actual smoked salmon on top. Oh, yep.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. For, I wanna I'm excited thinking about it.
0: Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> thinking about it. Really. All right, Maureen, how about you? What, you, what you? what are you thinking of in terms of food and, and eating?
1: Um, well, I have an interesting story about my life with spaghetti. Um, I love spaghetti, spaghetti bolognese in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a joke in my family that I only married my husband for his mother's sauce. She said so <laughs> um, We went back to Italy Uh, She's quite elderly, and we wanted her to see the old country one more time. And we went back to Italy. I guess we were there two weeks, and every night at dinner, I had spaghetti bolognese. (laughs) All of the food that I could have eaten in Italy, and I had the same thing every night. And I thoroughly enjoyed myself. (laughs) Different restaurants do it differently. The South was different than the North. It was it was fantastic. So my my family makes fun of me, but when I find something that I like, I stick with it. I've uh, found a couple here in uh, uh, Santa Barbara, Victoria, pretty darn good for spaghetti bolognese. Oh stuff.
2: yeah, uh, yeah.
0: And, and they're kind uh-huh. of like a they like a secret milk. Uh-huh.
2: What? what was that I, second if,
1: one? If cava.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that nice. one's good as.
1: mm-hmm. But if I really need a, a spaghetti hit, I just go down to my mother-in-law's. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing quite like it.
2: Yeah. We had, um, I think our was our first episode with Rocco. He's, from, uh, his family's from Italy as well, the athletic director. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> you guys, uh, he was talking about having this Sunday. It's a gravy. The Sunday gravy. gravy. gravy yeah mm-hmm. so you guys uh, if you ever see him in passing that's probably a conversation worth having with him you know
1: get our whole families together, yeah. to like to get together. and yeah, the yeah. odd irish one out
0: a lot a lot of family secrets though so i don't know if any information will actually be exchanged but i'm sure you will have a, health, a healthy discussion yeah and you know that the restaurants that you picked for your age choices are kind of they're kind of little, nice little tucked away spots that you might not notice on first glance. Like Trattoria Vittoria is right next to Cadario, you know, it's mm-hmm. across the street. But it's like a lot of people overlook it, but it, they, they do solid, solid, you know, Italian fare in there. And it's a nice atmosphere. I mean, I haven't seen it recently, but I'm sure it's still going to be a nice atmosphere when it fully reopens. And uh, the food is always excellent there.
1: The yes. area, you know. excellent.
2: Yeah. Victoria is kind of, that street's kind of like... I mean, obviously, we Santa Barbara. It's not like we have Little Italy, but like you said, that street has a few uh, good Italian restaurants. Um, is it Cadario? I mean, yeah. Codario, uh The pizzeria is even really good too, as well. So, um, Marine, do you? So, do you make you make homemade uh, spaghetti or bolognese?
1: And I used to until I met my mother-in-law. I know. <laughs> you
2: defer,
0: yeah. It's
1: uh, uh, it's it's not worth the risk.
0: <laughs> and great. and so, do you do you go to Italy a lot, or do you travel? Because I haven't been yet, and that's probably one of our next kind of. I ever when when I go back to Europe, France and England. And both are really nice. And I, I was always hesitant to go to Europe because of the long plane ride, but it wasn't that bad. And I'm looking to go back, but is Italy a nice kind of travel experience? It was, it was really nice for you. I mean, besides the Bolognese being excellent.
1: <laughs> we went in the middle of August, which I would never recommend to anybody to go to Europe in August. It's too hot, especially for us uh, Santa Barbans, because we are rather weather wusses. Um, but I did <laughs> have the, uh, the great fortune to live in England for about three years and I would do that again in a heartbeat. I just think that if you get the opportunity to truly live in another country and explore a different culture and people think the Americans and the English are the same they are not (laughs) um, that uh, we could we could have world peace if we just got to know each other better. Yeah. We all had to go spend six months somewhere else and really acclimatize ourselves to, you know, the way they do things, the way they eat. I, I remember one of the first days I was there, I was um, on what's called a home study program where they used to put uh, juniors in college with a local family. And they made made me, ironically, spaghetti bolognese. Because they wanted to see how I would eat it with only one hand. Mm -hmm. Don't really think about that. Americans eat with one hand and the British eat with two hands. And after seeing me eat the first meal with one hand, they concocted having spaghetti so they could see how I could possibly eat spaghetti with only one hand.
0: <laughs> now, now I'm wondering, how do you eat it with two hands? Do you use the other hand as like a support hand for the dangling noodles, or what? What does the other hand do? He uses a spoon. Use the spoon. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I'm chopsticks. So I'm one hand is like that's the way of the world for me. I mean, I can, I can cut with those chopsticks. I can pick stuff up. I can, you know. Yeah. Well,
1: most yeah. of Europe uses a knife and a fork to eat,
2: mm, and I've I,
1: never done that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Things.
2: I think I think you're pretty that's spot on Maureen and and I've traveled pretty extensively uh, you know and it, that point can't be uh, understated you know like just being able to be in a different country or a different culture and see how people live their lives and how you fit in and and you know also what I learned uh, from just traveling different places is that it's, it gives you a, a, a true appreciation of where you live and where you're from. You know, we like to think that, you know, uh, we live in the, in the greatest country on earth, and but you don't really appreciate it or you really can't fully appreciate it unless you actually travel outside of it, right? So it's like that saying, it's through opposites do you come to know a thing. So if you travel and you see the world and how people live their lives, there's a greater appreciation that you find yourself – um, having for where you live, you know, and, uh, you know, I was in Africa for, uh, for a little while. I was in the middle, e- I've been in the middle East, been in Turkey. So I, 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 always feel like when I'm coming back from trips, I appreciate where, uh, you know, I appreciate America a whole lot more, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you're always glad to, you're always glad to leave, but then you're always glad to come back. I did. I did. I haven't, I've only been abroad a few times. Like I said, I went to England and went to Paris. I've been to, you know, Canada and Mexico. But I've done a lot of traveling in the country. I've been on two road trips, one for three weeks where we went from LA to Toronto and then one for two weeks where we went to LA to Vancouver. and it was it was like you said, where're just seeing how other folks live even in this country, there okay. are just a multitude of perspectives and just seeing how how, how different a life is for someone in one area of the country versus another of the country, another part of the same town. I mean, there's a lot of economic stratification in this country and stuff like that, where if you don't have a grasp of those perspectives, because at this point lived experiences are so different, it's harder to find those commonality, the commonality and consensus. You always, you always talk to people and tell them, Oh, try to, you know, try to find some things you two have in common, you know, but if you, if your life experiences are so different that you have almost nothing in common, then without that kind of experience of traveling and just, just kind of, absorbing it that way, then, then finding those commonalities and finding that consensus becomes more difficult. So it's a, this idea of traveling and getting more perspectives, I mean, it's, it's very important and seems to be becoming more important as we become so kind of at our home life, becoming so like enclosed into our little internet bubbles where the algorithm is feeding us the things that appeal to us and that we know about. I mean, finding those things that we don't know about and that might not appeal to us, that we might not be prepared to see I mean, it's becoming more and more difficult to do. And traveling is really a nice shortcut. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's, a, it's a meaningful shortcut. A lot of shortcuts are like a, like a cheating step. This is a meaningful shortcut where you're getting these, these the kind of free perspectives and free alternate viewpoints that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. So, so yeah, traveling is definitely um, very important in our, in our lives
1: and now if and if going forward. If you can't travel, seeking out people who travel here is another way of doing it. You know, if you, ha- if you can host a family or, or uh, there's still a lot of high school and college places where you can host and you can learn, you can experience learning someone else's culture as they try to acclimatize to yours. Um, and there's a lot of that that can go on too. But we really are a very small place and we really should be treating each other much nicer.
2: Absolutely. Yeah absolutely yes,
0: a small place and, and you don't realize how how short our history is in terms of you know a couple hundred years and thousands of years for that with indigenous folks but aren't that history's been wiped you know with <laughs> so yeah you're getting to see uh recorded history that has been properly maintained that goes back thousands you know many hundreds thousands of years the history's properly maintained doing that research i mean it's it's very very meaningful
2: yeah i remember when i was in turkey i was uh it was, it's uh, about a year um, this October, and uh, just it was just interesting looking at things from like, like twelfth century, thirteenth century. You know, just just a, an amazing amount of history and, uh, and like even water fountains are like older than America. You know, it just puts, it just puts a lot in into pers- perspective, and and you know, I, I mean, I think I don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse, but if if people can travel, you know, um, you know, post-COVID and once things kind of like, um, you know, return back to what the new normal will look like, I would have to urge everyone to to get out and, and travel and see the world. It's just, you know, it's, it's just extremely important. I would agree. Plus, they say you don't learn, you don't know someone until you travel with them. <laughs> you, oh, you know? <laughs> that, is, that is the truth. That is the
0: truth. <laughs> And, and, so, that's, and that's where, as a, as a younger person, it, was, it would have been harder for me to travel because, you know, like uh, certain certain little comforts that I, was, I had to, I, you know, get myself used to overcoming it would, would have been tougher a long time ago. But now I'm definitely ready and kind of, you know, aching to explore.
2: So um, I guess I'm up and yep. for my pick. And since we're kind of talking about traveling, I, um, I'm going to pick a spot. It's in Los Angeles uh, or actually the Valley Reseda. Uh, it's a place called um, King Burger and Sushi, and it yes, that name is correct. King Burger and Sushi. Uh, so it's a restaurant. It's really uh, it, it looks like it was an old uh, Taco Bell, and what they did <laughs> was they totally regutted it. Um, super nice in there, um, but half of the restaurant is. Burgers, and the other half of the restaurant is sushi. Um, so um, I'll start with the sushi uh, side of it. Um, I'm a little uh, biased in, in my outlook uh, from being born in Japan. Um, I I love sushi, um, but the sushi the quality of the sushi is it's phenomenal and it's kind of like i guess the closest place in town um i would maybe compare it to is um maybe the quality is similar to Artigato, um but wow. it's, it's that <laughs> it's it's that good of a sushi uh, quality of sushi and it's just amazing how it's right next to like a grill and people are making uh, pastrami burgers so it's just it's really a, a a great place to go um some of the things that were popular on the menu is they had a a, a fireball salmon roll uh, my favorite personal favorite is the spicy halibut roll um it's like uh tempura white fish i think it's asparagus avocado and shiso which i don't know if you know shiso hung mm-hmm. but that that flavor is just – I think it's so good. It's the, shiso, the
0: shiso leaf. The leaf,
2: yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, and then it's tor- it's torched with, like, halibut, yuzu, and, um, and some soy – in like, a soy paper wrap. But that's my personal favorite. But uh, if you are ever down in Reseda and um, you find yourself um, – needing something to eat or it's one of those places i would even say it's almost make it a weekend a destination spot because it is that good maybe post covid uh, where you can go sit down and eat but i you know when the jones comes down on you though i'll be i eat in the parking lot i just go get it and you know the valley a couple times i think the last time i was down there maybe a few weeks ago um the temperature was like it was like a hundred it was like a hundred and you know three but i had to still had to stop and get Uh, sushi. I got some fries. I didn't do both, you know, but I did uh, get some fries. And then on the burger side, uh, I guess the burger side, they're really known for the pastrami. So that's a must try. And then they actually have a pastrami burger where they obviously top the pastrami on top of the burger. Uh, Those two are probably the top two sellers. So um, that is my pick for the week um, in regards to food. But yeah you know it's really interesting too though i'll say this this is worth mentioning like how sushi in america is far different from it it is in japan like all the rolls and all these different flavors and like that's not common in japan you know um it um you won't find all these like creamy sesame sauce and all these kind of things um they're really hard to find in japan that's not a traditional like california roll and all that that's all new that's not uh traditionally a part of japanese cuisine
0: so did, did you ever have, have you had a combo with a burger and sushi on the same plate i mean i can see them going well together you know but have you have you done that <laughs>
2: uh no in, in all <laughs> honesty i either do sushi or i do the burger yeah. but uh you know just because i i don't i just i don't know i just haven't mixed them yet but the Is worst like- I, uh
0: yeah, like a warm roll is like you know like you have the warm warm rice and the warm meat, but then it it can be uh, there's a little coldness to it too with the the seaweed and this and that. So I can see where a burger has the same thing with like a warm, uh, warm bite enveloped in cold things. Like I can see there's a similar could be a similar mouthfeel there. I mean, it does seem like a, a weird disconnect, but mm. I that definitely does sound appealing to me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's I, I like I said I think the furthest I ventured out was I got uh, some r- rolls and then I got some french fries and so that was like the furthest i've ventured out with uh, uh, in terms of merging the two but uh maybe next time i'll i I'll, 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 I'll try to live on the you wild know. side
0: yeah because i mean i can see where they might have had patties because if you do like if you have curry on the menu then you know a curry over a burger patty is just so good it's like maybe mm-hmm. they had you know like or maybe they were a burger joint first and decided to do sushi but i don't know that that definitely sounds kind of kind of cool and appealing to me because i love just looking at the picture of the place it does look like a, it looks more like a burger joint than a sushi place but i love those classic kind of burger joints like you know chili fries and all that pastrami mm-hmm. i i that was one of my first favorite american meals was you know the hamburger fries and coke so the first any, any chance I, I i had to get out of the house and get food it was hamburger fries and coke hamburger fries and coke so now as, uh, being able to throw sushi on top of that, that's just like, that just sounds too good. Although the idea of eating sushi in a hot car does not sound that good to me. But like you said, once, once dining rooms reopen, like that, yeah, it sounds awesome. And I will put a link in the show notes. Great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on now to our, uh, our culture section. And um, Maureen, do you want to start us off for this section?
1: Well, I was asked by you two gentlemen to bring my favorite book. Yeah, uh, to talk about, and um, I have been reading since I was about three years old. It's uh, one of the great uh, highlights of my life. I absolutely adore reading. Um, I have four children. I managed to pass the reading gene down to only two of them, but um, they. Uh, their readers, too. Um, my, my very favorite book of all time is a very obscure uh, book called Yonder, um, which is Y-O-N-D-E-R, like way over yonder. Um, But I don't even think it's in print anymore. I may have the only three copies of it. Um, I I bought them for my children so that they would be able to read mom's favorite book. Um, It's um, an interesting story set in the 20s about a woman whose mind is mentally stuck in a day. I always thought it would make a great movie. But But if I had to talk about a genre or, or a series of, of books, um, I would have to say that Jane Austen is probably the person that introduced me to fine literature above and beyond anything else. She um, turned me on to loving England as a country, uh, not what necessarily England has become but the fantasy of England as seen through its great literature, uh, Pride and Prejudice, Emma, Northanger Abbey, just if I need to escape COVID or the federal government's regulations or that one student that got to me, then my go-to is always going to be a Jane Austen novel.
0: Nice. And in terms of Jane Austen is a good entry point, not to you know to, to, to just how folks lived in that particular it's a great time capsule for that period yes. of time in England. For
1: the Regency area.
0: Yeah. For social mm-hmm. mores and customs and all the things that you read down, you're like, they did it like that. They did this. They're really worried about this. It's crazy. But but it is it is kind of a good snapshot. And um and Pride and Prejudice, is that the the you know particularly
1: well, that's her best known book, and I, I believe it's her best written book. Um, the story coheses very well together. But Jane Austen, as, as a character, was, um, as a person, was a, a trailblazer for her age. Um, if you study her from a historical perspective, at that point in time, she was not allowed to write books under her own name. Uh, Her books were published under an English lady. Um, She could not sign contracts in her own right. Her brother had to do that for her. It was not seen to be ladylike, to want to work or to want to have a career. So in a lot of ways, she is very much one of those first feminists who were using a battering ram against the conventions of the day um while she was writing about them and poking fun at them at, at the same time so she uh she in a lot of ways is um very early ruth bader ginsburg
0: i mean yeah there are some certain themes like pride and prejudice the idea of having to marry for wealth versus love and how she pushes against that yeah. and yes. then a book like Mans- mansfield park where a family has to send uh you know, uh, a daughter away because they can't afford to take care of her. So she goes to live with her wealthy aunt and uncle. So, I mean, just kind of social customs like that and, and things of that sort that might be unfamiliar to folks today. It's a good time capsule into that and how far we've come in terms of that. So it's, it's, it's it is, all of her books are, are really kind of, not to say breezy, but they're, they're, they're fun to read, you know, like so, so they're, I, I they're, the, the prose is good. They, they, the, the beat, the plot beats move pretty well. I mean, she's just, not only accessible, very kind of intellectual too. So it's a good combination and uh, her books are good. I mean, I've always, I've always loved Jane Austen.
1: Well, if you can, if you compare her to like the Brontes who mm -hmm. are very dark and very hard to get through, they're very Victorian. Um, She is much lighter. She is much more of the Regency period. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I do love Wuthering Heights. A little too much, but yes, in terms of reading, in terms of rereading, rereading something like that versus going through Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, Emma, Mansfield Park, you know, those, those books are just, yeah, very, you know, very enjoyable.
2: I didn't realize she had passed away so young, too, as well.
1: She's 41. She
2: was like, was she like 41? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They believe she had Addison's disease, which was the same thing John F. Kennedy had.
0: Mm. Huh. I didn't know John F. Kennedy had Addison's disease. I I, I knew about the pol- I knew about the polio, but I didn't know about you know. Interesting. Oh.
1: So, yeah.
0: excellent pick. I mean, is there is there a book that you would recommend first, or is, is Pride and Prejudice the one, or maybe like Emma for more kind of you know?
1: I think that's to perf- get a. a- an easy introduction into Jane Austen would be Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a more concise story and the, uh, the characters are in some ways, they're more black and white. Uh, Emma, for example, is, is very fluid. And mm-hmm. it might, you, you might need to know more about the Regency period to understand Emma. Whereas Pride and Prejudice, you can understand those characters. They could be current. They could be uh, 200 years ago. It's it just they're, they're much more everyday people uh, floundering about trying to make it through the world.
0: Yeah. Emma is my go-to because most folks have seen Clueless. And the Clueless yeah, film is like a loose, yeah. a loose adaptation of, of Emma. Very, very loose adaptation. But the, the, the major beats and themes are there. So,
1: yeah. Emma as a valley girl. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: And she and she's, but she's able to kind of like infiltrate various social circles. And she's, you know, like she's she's in, she's with the in crowd. She's able to kind of like cross cross uh, cultural groups and kind of communicate with everyone. So that's you know, yeah.
2: I didn't also between I was like thinking like, geez, between like she dropped uh, Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, and Emma all in a pretty a relatively short period of time, right? Yes. Like, was that like, uh, she was busy.
1: Well, yeah, all, <laughs> done, all done by hand. Remember, no typewriter. <laughs> she wrote these. No spell long. check. <laughs> um, I had no spell check. I actually uh, visited the house where she wrote the books and uh, saw the table that she wrote them on. It was just little, what we would consider a small coffee table, Um, that she wrote her books on in the middle of a busy household with all those distractions around her. But had she married and had children, she would never have been able to do it. The fact that she remained single all of her life um, allowed her the luxury of time that most women would not have had.
0: Yeah. I think of, I think about Mary Shelley that way, where if Mary Shelley hadn't gotten in with that, that cad, Percy
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: she would have been much more prodigious yeah yeah although
1: if you're gonna write one write
0: a good one right exactly <laughs> right, right right one that creates a genre yeah absolutely um so yes great pick
2: great pick excellent pick
0: all right I'll go next um mine as we mentioned comic books last week so I wanted to kind of go on the other side of that and talk about manga for a little bit manga are um uh Japanese comics you know so I guess there's probably a more in-depth definition, but generally speaking, Japanese comics, uh, and or with a Japanese style at least, because there are American mangaka now. So, um, my manga pick for this week is a man, Satoshi Khan, who is on, more known for anime, usually the films, Japanese animation films, as opposed to the books. But he was a manga artist and writer before he got really into films. Um, his most well-known films, uh, if you if you're an anime at all, uh, Perfect Blue, Paprika um millennium actress tokyo godfathers they're all excellent films if you if you prefer anime then i would definitely check out the films but um he was an assistant artist on the akira manga which is you know the 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 like pole anime manga work is akira uh the manga is amazing the movie's good too but the manga is like eight million times better but uh he after he did worked on akira he did a couple uh manga of his own before he got into films um one's called opus uh, which is about kind of a, uh, a writer and uh, it's kind of the, his works always deal with like uh, mystical supernatural kind of things. So it's like a, opus is about a writer working with things. And then Tropic of the Sea is another kind of fantastical story about a, uh, a man who meets a mermaid and is uh, given an egg every uh, regular period of time and how that kind of evolves. So um, yes, Satoshi Khan all of his work is good but particularly I want to highlight his manga side this week because it's the lesser known side of of his and, um, it's worth kind of seeking out. I'll put a link to Opus and Tropic of the Sea in the show notes and I'll, I'll link to his Wikipedia as well.
2: Great. Manga is huge. You know, I always remember one of, um, one of, uh, all over Japan, like on the trains, everyone's reading them. Mm Um, and, uh, it just, um, always every time I, I see it um, or just it just it just instantly transports me back to the trains in Japan yeah. uh, where people are reading sitting down re- people are reading them standing up which is really interesting too because we're in such a digital age where people you know everyone has their phones but something about still holding on to the actual book itself, uh, I, I still think it carries a lot of weight in Japan, at least uh, the last time I was there and, you know, the times prior to that. I mean, I think the last time I was there was maybe like three years ago, four years ago. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, I... I've never been a big comic book person, but maybe I should start getting into into, into manga. You may you may have persuaded me on
0: I, I feel like digital reading is, is always hard to encapsulate the physical aspect of it just because physical reading is two panel. So you have two pages. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're reading both pages, but just yeah. having that like read one page and lead right into the next one. The the, the, the segue between turning pages in a digital book is a little jarring because you you know, you hit next and you go right to the next page and it's like that it interrupts the sequence. Whereas when you're reading a book, you go one page to the next page and the quick page turn, then you're on the next page. I mean, it, it just feels more seamless to me. I mean, it, it's something where if I only have a digital version or something, I'll definitely read it that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I much prefer the physical version. And the thing about manga is because it's um, written in Japanese originally, it is read and uh, left to uh, oh, right to left, left instead of left to right, you go right to left. So you start at the end of the book for us and you mm-hmm. flip it backwards and you read the panels. Um, yeah. Right page first, then the left page and you flip it right page, left page. And then you, you read and you still read top to bottom. But that that kind of adjustment too is is um, was interesting at first, but it also it, it it's pretty seamless once you get in the groove of things. Yeah. The hard part about manga for most manga, it's the same with comic books, is the stories never end. So these these kind of self-contained stories like the Satoshi Khan and their other other manga works that are kind of one shot, the one shots are easier because you have the beginning and the end. I think that you read all like one piece and all these that that go on forever, even Naruto, which has ended, but it's it's just, it's just huge. So it feels inaccessible at times because you feel like, Oh, I'm just going to, like, I'll never be able to catch up on this and that. Um, Which is why a lot of folks in Japan read like the Shonen Jump and stuff that are just like anthologies, which cap you know, they take up the most recent issue of, of four or five titles and put them in one magazine. You can buy it that way and keep up that way. But yeah, in terms of if you're trying to get into manga or comics for the first time, I would always say find stories that have a, a beginning and an end because the stories that just keep going, keep going. There's so much lore and so much depth now that if you if you're worried about not being able to keep up or getting lost, yeah, it's a definitely valid concern.
2: My daughter, um, she, who's half Japanese, like this uh, past summer uh, before she started back to school, she was on a whole anime. Train, I was like burning the she's over here, she's like, I still am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but she was burning the candle lights, man, or those late night, early mornings. Um, oh, yeah. Watched an anime, she'd come downstairs, your eyes all bloodshot. I'm like, what's going on, you know?
0: And, and anime is the same way, certain shows have like 400, 300, 400 episodes, yeah. And then there's other shows, like two seasons, and a season can be 26 episodes, it can be 13 episodes. And and that's that's kind of the most successful way. The anime films are nice, but sometimes they try to like cram a lot of stuff into a film, like the Akira film, people always hail it as a masterwork of animation and it's incredibly well animated. But trying to follow that story is tough. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. try to cram like six manga, you know, trade paperbacks worth of story. I mean actually the first three, but into a two hour film, which is impossible. It's the same that happens with book to movie adaptations, you know, where the, a lot of the nuance and details lost but especially with a visual medium, you know, it it can be even more so. So yeah, finding those series that are good, but that also end that where you get some closure that, that goes a long way in kind of fostering, you know, like that spark where you can kind of come back. And then once you're into it a little bit, then you can explore the really long ones. If you have the time as a young person, you have the time I I could, you know, play video games for 70 hours and finish them. I could read books all day and watch movies all day. Now as someone with a kid and getting, time is a premium i need the short and sweet beginning middle and end yeah absolutely <laughs> well i guess you have
1: four children <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah yeah and that's the thing it's not it's not like times two times three it's it's exponential it's like squared that's cubed.
1: like the richter scale <laughs> Yeah, you're
0: right. absolutely. absolutely and that's and that's where folks you know you ever think about having a, yeah i thought about it but yeah i don't i don't i mean you know it's i know i don't know i yeah that that yeah (laughs) that reset button to 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 have another yeah that's a that's another episode altogether i
2: guess (laughs) (laughs) well i wish i could um you know say my my choice or pick for culture this week is as profound and thought-provoking as uh what you two just had, had made mention of but i'm gonna I'm going to kick it in the slums uh, for this episode. And uh, my choice is uh, Cobra Kai uh, <laughs> on Netflix. Um, last night, um, uh, my wife and I, we were up a little later than usual, but we were watching uh, Karate Kid uh, 2. Oh, yeah. A- and just uh,
0: slept, slept on Karate Kid. I love that Karate Kid. And, and, that, and this is where I disagree with you because Karate Kid was – I mean, landmark, huge, huge deal for me as a kid. And watching Cobra Kai, oh, it, was, it, it hit every all those sweet spots for me. So, yeah, we keep going. No, <laughs> absolutely.
2: No, but listen, absolutely, Cobra Kai did. I think it, they did a brilliant job at that because it um, all the nostalgia was coming back. Uh, we actually binge-watched uh, Cobra Kai a couple weekends ago. And, um, and so then it got us all hyped up to start watching the Karate Kid series again, just because all the, the, the nostalgia, the music, the, you know, seeing, you know, Daniel LaRusso as a grown man and him and Johnny still having beef with each other and training students. And it's, um, it's on Netflix. Uh, I think there's, there's two seasons that are out on netflix and i think the third one I've, i read that they've already it's already been recorded so we're just waiting for that to actually to be to be to drop
0: and, I, and i'm pretty excited because I, I mean i don't know how where they go from the end of that second season i'm not gonna look i'm not gonna let any plot points go no spoilers here but the way that second season ended i don't know where they're going where do they go in the third season because the Come first on. season,
2: you know I, I have an idea but i'm not gonna say anything
0: can you, can you mention your idea without getting too spoilery? Like in terms yeah, of you're going to tell like nurse him, nurse him back to health. Or I mean, uh, like, no, or I, he becomes the mentor and just like teaches like while he's recovering. I mean, you know,
2: I think, okay. One is, uh, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but I'm just going to say it. So <laughs> <laughs> I think Ali's going to come back into the show yeah. because she hasn't.
1: Oh yeah, up.
0: that's right. Yeah.
2: yeah. So she's going to come back in for season three And then I'm not going to say anything more than that because I what else I'm thinking will definitely be a spoiler. So I'm just going to say Ali will probably appear in season three. That's what I'm looking for. And it appears to be that Daniel and Johnny may be, you know, uh, becoming friends. That's what I think is going to happen. That's just my two cents. But uh, I don't want to spoil it more than that. That
0: that would be nice. Yeah, because... Yeah, I mean for me, karate kid, I, I grew up watching kung fu movies. Like uh, Hong Kong cinema was my first, you know, first the first films I watched were Hong Kong films. So Kung Fu movies were like I love I I lived, breathed and you know, ate woke up, watched movies, went to yep. sleep watching kung fu movies. Yep. And then when I wasn't watching kung fu movies, I was playing kung fu with my friends and we were kicking and punching each other to death. Um so karate kid having Karate Kid and Last Dragon, both of those were like those crossover martial arts films where I finally there was more common ground for other mm-hmm. folks to get into the same stuff that I was really into. So, I mean, it just, and it just expanded the reach in terms of folks I could play Kung Fu with. So that, so just, just that alone was a lot of, you know, was really big. And in terms of, and in terms of expanding my reach because I knew Kung Fu, but I didn't know karate. So going from the Chinese style of martial arts to more Japanese martial arts and, and learning about karate, judo, you know, and jujitsu and stuff like that, where I just knew, you know, Wing Chun, Tai Chi, Kung Fu, and just knowing that it's, it's not a lake, it's an ocean. Like the world of martial arts is so vast and the yeah. practitioners of martial arts are so vast. And yep. just that, you know, the Karate Kid story is just, you know, overcoming the odds and the long shot. But the, the way Cobra Kai twists that and then turns the once, you know, the once favorite Johnny into the long shot, he becomes a long shot and Daniel LaRusso becomes, I mean, oh, it's just, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was very well done. I watched it when it was on YouTube, you know, and I guess no, no one at YouTube, so they moved it to Netflix, which is great for the show because, yeah, I thought it was, in terms of those retro revival things, a lot of them were kind of just milking the nostalgia and cashing in. I felt like this was very well done, and they cared a lot about the, the movies that came before. Like, they brought they brought back a lot of the old students from Cobra Kai to be the old guys. You know, the one, the one episode where they go camping, all yeah, those old right. guys are back, and one of them passed away recently, so even him having a you know won the final film role and stuff and so they there's a lot of nods to old movies which is great but the the, the story on, on it stands on its own so well for the new stuff that even if you don't know anything about the other movies they tell enough of the story and flashbacks and stuff that you can get right in and it's you know it's, it's pretty well done
2: yeah i mean i i you know for me too like what you're saying you grew up doing Kung Fu and I was the, actually the opposite. I grew up doing karate and mm-hmm. my, um, you know, my parents lived in Japan for about seven years and, um, you know, my parents both, uh, became black belts in and, karate. And then, so when we returned back to the States, um, they opened up a dojo in the height of karate, like the eighties karate kid, everyone was doing karate in the in the 80s so it just for me it's like it's a movie but it's even more than that because it takes me back to growing up in the dojo training with my my mother my father my sister and you know so it's such a it's just such a good um it's just well done it's just it's i think they, it's done brilliantly and yeah. it's been in the top 10 on netflix for probably i don't know how long it's been there but every time I've, i go to netflix it's in the top 10 still i'm like this it still up there yeah that's, that's the what top tells, that
0: that tells you how few folks subscribe to the premium youtube service because it was on youtube like a couple years ago and the second season was like last year or something so a lot of folks are seeing it for the first time and it's like whoa where was this and it's like yeah it was buried in youtube but yeah, so it was. I mean, yeah, my wife actually was grew up in Lancaster, the Antelope Valley, and she mm-hmm. did karate. And their and the, their style was called Okinawate. So it was you know Okinawan karate, and mm-hmm. uh, so it just shows you that reach in terms of folks, you know, and, and um, her sensei was a black man, Richard Triplett, and just the folks that went to Japan to learn karate, and the you know that just how how big that karate boom was in the eighties. And it
2: was and so big. in general,
0: and, it, and it's really good. I mean, I learned a lot about discipline. And about, you know, repetition and practice, doing something over and over again until you, you're better at it and get it right. You know, like it's those kinds of things. We don't have that many outlets for that anymore. It's basically sports at this point, sports and video games. So, And books. And books, yes. You can become a better reader by just kind of practicing and read. But but in terms of reading, like I, I guess this is a good question for you, Maureen. How would you practice reading to become a better reader? Because I, I feel like for me, it, I, it's hard for me to kind of – instruct my son how to become a better reader because it feels like for me it was just like a light switch that flipped whereas with karate you can kick 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 and you can feel the little nuances like your toes curl a little better and things that sort of how would you improve like teach someone to improve their reading skills
1: well i think one of the things that's very important on reading skills now is to find a quiet place mm-hmm. reading is not something you can multitask with Mm-hmm. Um, you can't be eating dinner or watching TV and reading a book at the same time. You'll lose the beauty of the book. So having a beanbag chair with your soft blankie in it and just giving yourself permission to be quiet for half an hour to enjoy your book is very important. And we often don't give ourselves permission to be quiet.
0: Yeah, and, and for my, my son who's used to, you know, YouTube folks yelling at them and people going wild and slapstick comedies. I guess that is the key. And I didn't even think about that. So that's a good, very good point.
2: Huh, oh, did you just listen to that? She just dropped a dime on the show right oh, now. That
0: was gold. I like, get that. That was totally missing. I didn't even think about that aspect of it. I was thinking about the skill set aspect of it, like, you know, phonics and this and that, but no, the, the ability to focus and kind of concentrate on what you're looking at will make you a better reader.
1: You're absolutely correct. Yeah. When I was a little girl, my father bought me a great big yellow plastic beanbag chair that became my reading chair for years. I'd love to be able to curl up in that chair again.
0: <laughs> yeah, my son still has those opportunities. I feel like mine are a long ways off. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day, but yeah. Uh,
2: I'm going to recommit to that. Maureen I think that's there's so much wisdom in that statement that just having a certain location or area or space that's just dedicated just for that and then and like you said I think it was brilliantly stated when you said giving yourself permission right to just give yourself completely to the book and be present in one thing and that is just to read you know uh so Thanks for the wisdom on that. I'm taking that to heart. I'm going to make it a point to try to um, rededicate myself to reading a little bit more because that's something that I've always wanted wanted to do. And I keep saying I got to, I want to read a little bit more. But I'm feeling pretty inspired by by the conversation.
1: I will tell you, when I was commuting from Santa Barbara to L.A. by the train, I had an awful lot of good reading time.
0: Hmm. Yeah, when I was doing my two-hour commute, I had to listen to news radio because I was driving. But if I wasn't driving, I, I would have been reading for sure. <laughs>
1: Audiobooks are the wave of the future.
0: Yes, very true. And and on and on, on all that all that good advice, uh, all of the good advice you gave us earlier about financial aid and about managing your money, to the good advice about being a better reader, finding a quiet place to concentrate. And then I can't think of a better way to um, wrap up this show. And and uh, thank you for. You know, coming on, and um,
2: yes, a, thank you so much.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Now I want to go eat a bagel.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, if and if you ever need any, I can send you some because I got a, a few dozen in the freezer right now. So all
1: right, <laughs> you don't want you
2: don't want to get a pastrami burger with sushi?
1: Um, I could I could lose the sushi, but I'd eat this pastrami bur- burger for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that i mean i we'll definitely have to have a we'll have a we'll have a live stream where we go eat burger and sushi a keel that'll be a that'll be a nice return to normalcy for us too so
1: there Sounds you go good.
2: let's do it
0: <laughs> yeah but uh, uh for everyone listening to the show thank you again for tuning in thank you again marine for coming on the show and um
1: Pleasure.
0: until next time we'll see y'all again
1: thanks guys thanks stay safe
2: take thank care you.
0: bye-bye bye